Good evening, Patriots. And it's Wednesday, August 10th in the year 2022. And obviously, East Coast, you are now into Thursday. Man, this week's, these weeks are just flying by. I literally had to double check the calendar today. I'm like, what happened? Unbelievable how fast the days go. Patriots, in this time of fast moving days and lots of stress, Make sure that you are building your immune system. And since the FBI seems to be making it a habit of knocking on people's door, make sure your immune system is strong because who knows, maybe they'll be breathing like some sort of COVID stuff on you or something. But to do that, we want to make sure and take the right supplements to boost your immune system and keep it strong all through the day. We are surrounded by the stresses and the environmental issues that are challenging our immune systems. And keeping our immune system strong is essential to maintaining a strong position in this fight. Expedition Coffee was designed specifically to not only give you that energy boost you need that will sustain you across the entire day while boosting your immune system and help maintain a mental focus throughout the day. You can find Expedition Coffee, X-P-E-D, Expedition Coffee at expeditioncoffee.com. And there you'll also find a full range of products that are designed to work as a full health ecosystem, all designed to reclaim your personal health sovereignty. Those products include the Gut Health Triad, which helps heal and seal your gut. Leaky gut is one of the critical causes of sickness in our nation. You also have Immune XP, which is an immune booster based on pine cone extract with high levels of vitamin C. Earth, which is a nutrient powder, giving your body a full complement of nutrients you need. Just mix it with water, drink it like a shake. Do that once a day and Pure 47, one of the most refined silver extracts on the market that can isolate most of the pathogens that you'll encounter. The products on ExpeditionCoffee.com are all designed to give you back the strength in your immune system to not only endure the challenges to the immune system, but to dominate and to rise above to reclaim your true health sovereignty. So check out Expedition, X-P-E-D, ExpeditionCoffee.com. Well, Patriots, I don't know if if you were listening today on uh, the earlier show, which was, um, which would be Bended Knee. But there was a really beautiful piece I want to play for you tonight. And it's going to start with this. God sends us children in a pure form. They, they hear Jesus. They hear God. They're uncorrupted by this world. And this is very special. So take a listen. That little girl is Lily, and she woke her parents up in the middle of the night, and she was saying, something's coming, something's coming. She kept saying, he's coming, Abba, push you up. Abba is the Hebrew word for father. The next day, she brought it up again and said, Mama, open up because God's coming. And then she bowed three times. Joel chapter 2, verse 28 says, your sons and your daughters will prophesy. So share this with someone and let them know that Jesus is coming soon. I don't think there's any question, and it's a wonderful thing. And that just puts more responsibility on us to make sure that not only are we right with Christ, that many others are in that place. I want to play a short piece here. It's about 2 minutes, 58 seconds. It's titled, The Greatest Threat to the Church in Our Generation. This is a new pastor that I've just been introduced to, uh, Paul Washer. So take a listen. This is uh, a good piece. But what do you think the greatest threat is to the church in our generation. Yeah. 
It's pastors. <laughs> Honestly. The pastors. Anywhere, God has given three offices, I believe, to the church. Evangelist, pastor, and teacher. Wherever you see a weak church, you see these weak men. Either they're non-existent, they're unbiblical, or they're unconverted. And all this talk about the judgment on our country because of its immoralities and everything else, never forget judgment always begins with the household of God. And um, I am astounded at the lack of the fear of the Lord and the lack of biblical knowledge among those who would call themselves the ministers of Christ. And um, I mean, the atrocities that have happened in America in evangelicalism, just in the pulpit itself, the tomfoolery, the lack of reverence. Uh, if you have a church that's not a praying church, it's because you, you have non-praying elders. Um, the church is not biblical, it's because you have non-biblical elders. It always goes back to, so when I look at the nation, I'm not blaming some party or professors or this or that. I'm looking at myself as a minister of Christ. And, and that's a very solemn, that, that's why someone shouldn't enter into the ministry very lightly. And, you know, we could say all kinds of other things, but it all does come back to that. We could say liberalism, which is true. We could say even a greater, more dangerous thing that's a secret, hidden liberalism is when men affirm that the Bible is inerrant, but their whole ministry is nothing but pragmatism. All you young men need to understand something. All this talk about Reformation the last 15 years, the Reformers didn't want to be Reformers. They just want to be biblical, number one. Number two, you're not Reformed simply because you've adopted an academic view of some sort of sovereign grace soteriology. You're following in the spirit of the Reformers because you're trying to take every aspect of your thought, your doctrine, your disposition, your life, your family, your church, and submitting it to what is written. And, and so those are some of the things. But what do you think the greatest threat is? I'll tell you, one of the things that um, he, he didn't add, and I'm always a little bit skeptical when they don't add this because I'm pretty much sure that they're most all there under this pretext, which is 501c3. And the 501c3 is not as consuming as... I think that the stereotype makes it seem it's not as limiting, but it definitely is to me an abomination when you are offering somebody the opportunity to give a tithe to a church, a tithe, and in return, you're going to get part of that tithe back. I don't, that's not God's way. And it's a, a pretty disgusting framework that we have in our, in our pulpits. The other part about that, and we're going to talk a little bit about this tonight, because I really want to get into the fear of the Lord, and I'm going to start with tithe. I had a really long and good conversation with the pastor today about tithing. He and I share this. 
there is a real interesting framework that's come about, and I, I look at it, I don't think it's by design to be evil. I don't want to make it, I'm not going to frame it that way, but I think it's clumsy in faith, the way that tithing is used in the church and the way that you tithe is always through the church. And I don't see that as, I. the problem is when you tie that into the business of the church and the peddling and business of guilt and the peddling of paying salaries. And we tie that into the 501c3 model and all this other stuff. The tithe becomes just an extension of the business model. Tithing needs to come from the heart. And this is that heart. When we say that is not random, at least not in my life. It's very given and specific from God. And when we open ourselves up to tithe, God leads us to tithe in brilliant ways. And I have seen these incredible things happen in my own life with the tithing that God has led, to, led me to do. And it's profound. It's profound to see the transformations that occur as a result of the tithings. And it's not just in someone else, but it's also within us. And, that, and one of the critical things that happens through good tithing is it transforms our principle and the way that we see value. Our life is very much designed around a value principle which equates everything to a dollar and a return, an ROI. In God's world, the ROI is incredible. It's 10, 100, 1,000-fold every time but it's not in the way that we're optically looking. You know, the interesting thing, and I've, I've talked harshly about it, but I'm going to kind of, I want to re-lens a little bit of this as we talk about tithing and then we're talking about money and we're going to move into the fear of the Lord. I've talked pretty harshly about the investments in Wall Street. And it's a problem because people were misled and so the idea, again, is we're, we're giving a little bit of money, and so you're looking at how to grow that money because the money is the vehicle for retirement. And so they structure these issues of like 401ks, and they offer investment profiles or portfolios for you to invest in. And they give you a little menu, usually of like, okay, are you a high-risk investor, medium, low? And then they give you several accounts, like maybe it'll be technology or medical, because they're all investment funds, and a lot of them are managed by BlackRock and Vanguard. And so the principal issue that we have when we get there is that we have a tithing that's going to a church, which is whatever we can afford to give to that church, which is basically funding the church. But I don't in the true sense of tithing, I just don't see it that way. And this is me. You can disagree. I, I've had these conversations before, but I really find it irritating when I, when I give to a church and I know that it's not going to people directly in need because there are people in need. And I don't, I'm not supporting a business. I'm trying to direct the money that God gives me to steward to ways that will affect other people. And I think this is the big issue we have here. Like when we get into the talents, and we have the five talents, three talents, and the one talent, and what you do with your money buried. I think what God is 
really leading there is like, what are you doing with the money? What are you doing stewarding the money that I'm giving you? And when we don't have a fear and a proper reverence for God, it becomes very much a selfish endeavor. Well, I need to, it's like a bill. The church, I'm going to tithe this month, and I hear this all the time. I have tithing to the church 20% every month, and it's a, it's a systematic thing, like an automatic payroll deduction. In my life, in my experience, that's not tithing. Tithing is random. One month, tithing might be $100. The next month, tithing might be 5000 But here's what I've known about tithing. When God puts that on my heart, I, I don't even hesitate. Because when that happens, it's always returned in many different ways. And it's always returned in values of like five, ten, usually a hundredfold. And that doesn't mean that the bank account balance changes by a hundredfold. But in so many other ways, it changes by a hundredfold or more. And I think much of that relationship we have to tithing currently through the church affects how we see money in general, which ultimately we don't see it as God's gift to us to steward. We see it as ours to have to survive off of. So then we turn to the institutions of Babylon, like Wall Street, 401ks, and we say, okay, good, I can stuff my money away and it will be preserved and it will grow, but the growth is finite. It's very limited. And it's money that when you go to get it, you discover now that, wait a minute, that wasn't really my money anymore because I gave it to them and they're not going to let me have it the way I need it. They're going to charge me an amount of money if I need it. And there's going to be extra fees when it comes out because it grew and now I've got to tax it on that growth. And I'm going to be limited to how I can use it if I pull it out before a certain date. And if I get past a certain time and date and age that I am, then there's going to be some huge taxes on it. That's not a God thing. And yet that framing of the money is a lot of what we live by because we're so accustomed to everything being paid like a bill including our tithes. And I don't think when you do your portfolio analysis, I'm, I'm pretty certain that they don't offer you like statements like, are you a high-risk investor? Well, yes, I am. Would you like to invest in child sex trafficking? Would you like to invest in illegal drug trafficking? Are you a medium-risk investor? Yes, I am. Would you like to invest in a clot shot that will kill half the globe's population but there's a good solid return over time because we're guaranteed to get a flat return of 8% over the next 30 years. Does that interest you? I don't think that's in the port, the syllabus for investment. And I see that very, and it's a very critical issue because if we people were actually shown that, nobody would actually invest in Wall Street, or at least who would, should be hanging out in the lake of fire anyway. So I think it's an important point to reflect on for everybody that has investments in Wall Street, period. Because it is a Ponzi scheme, it is a Babylonian system, and it derives itself a lot in my relation in my opinion from our relationship with how we see and steward money that God gave us. This isn't ours, it's God's. And when we pivot that way, then tithing becomes principally an entirely different process. And it's a great process. It's a process where you see the incredible leaps and bounds of God's kingdom 
whether it's $10, $100, $1,000, $10,000, whatever you're called to do, you suddenly see the kingdom grow in amazing ways. And it's when it's driven by the heart and God's leading it, this is where we lead into that incredible level of trust in him. It's an intimate relationship and God puts it on our heart and we do that and we just literally, it, it's just, it never fails. I mean, I was reflecting on some tithings that I did and I just was reflecting on them today and just smiling going, wow, Lord, I would have never imagined that that one thing would have caused all these other things in such beautiful ways. That's a return on investment. That's true value. And that's living within the kingdom. And nowhere along this way, no matter how much I've been called to do, have I ever been in want. But I also know that in those moments when I have been in need in previous years, someone has been there to, to help me. And that's this inner relationship within the kingdom. And it, again, it comes from the reverence of God. A lot of where I think we stumble in, in our daily life is this concept of fear of the Lord. And I've heard many people say, well, it's not actually fear. And I will always say, if you don't have a little bit of that, you're not really knowing the Lord. It's kind of like, just think about a relationship if you had a good father. There's a beautiful side to your father, and there is a firm moment in your father Hopefully everybody's had that and it gains respect, but there's always an edge of a little bit of fear and, and it's not a negative thing, but it's a reminder that there are limits and there are disciplines and there's going to be yes, nurturing, but there's going to be some hard lessons sometimes that come. And it's that nurturing in balance that I think really creates the true sense of fear of the Lord. So if we take this position of the Lord being all loving God is always there. He will always love us. He will, then we're not giving, we're not looking at the balance of God. And if we look at all wrath, like Sodom and Gomorrah, that's an injustice to God. But when we put those two together and we start to balance everything from the destruction of Jericho I'm not Jericho, I'm sorry, but uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. And all the way to the other side of just the, the absolute love that God brings out for his children. Staying the hand of Abraham before he, he kills his child. The caring and nurturing of encouraging Noah to build the ark. And so much more. We start to gain a very... True, a much truer picture in balance of what father is. And it leads to the nurturing of a father in a very complex world, in a very complex existence that we have as we're being nurtured for our inheritance. Deuteronomy 10, 12 to 13. And now what does the Lord your God require of you? but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways and love him and to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and to keep the Lord's commandments and his statutes, which I am commanding you today for good. I think 
at the core of that very powerful existence, again, is the remembering of what God is capable of. Unlimited love, but equally wrath. And those balance issues, when we keep that in perspective, begins to create the essence of the fear of the Lord. I am one, and I'm going to be honest with you. I mean, when someone tells me, I don't, I, fear doesn't mean fear. I, I really do hesitate. I'm like, I don't, when I say this, I have to really contemplate. It's like, do you even know the Lord then? Because if you don't appreciate the consequences of what the Lord can deliver, then I don't think that you're appreciating the complexities of the relationship the glory of it, the beauty of it, but also the consequences if you choose not to follow. We're talking about life and inheritance in a manner and existence beyond anything we can imagine, or we're talking about eternal fire. That should stir a little bit of fear. Not that you have to be afraid but fear in terms of this is a healthy mission. <laughs> it has very real consequences. Don't screw it up. Let's look at the Ten Commandments. This is Exodus 20. Then God spoke in all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Now, this to me right there sets the whole state, that whole phrase right there captures an essence of the fear and respect of the Lord. He brought you out of Egypt and he brought you out of the house of slavery. And that's the reverence that I think we fail too much at because too often it becomes me, us, I, you. We did this. No, the Lord did this. We executed through him. I made this comment last week when we talked about all the candidates and how none of them gave reverence to God for their win. This is the part of that is they don't have a fear of the Lord. They don't see it as consequential. It's like, oh, it's God again, whatever. Just that dude sits up in the clouds. Don't worry about it. It's I got this, man. I, when I was a kid, I took Jesus into my heart, and I'm all good. Don't worry about it, and I don't worry about it. When I get to it, I'll mention him. Maybe I'll talk to him on Sunday a little bit. And we'll, we'll smooth it out, you know, yo. We'll smooth it out, yo. See, that's that's not living within the reverence of God and lacking, and that's, in my opinion, happening because there's no consequential understanding of the relationship of God, and there's no intimacy with God. So I'll continue. You shall not, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make your, for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the water underneath the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers of the children on the third and the fourth generations to those who hate me, but showing loving kindness to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments. There it is. That's literally Exodus 24. It's very explicit in there, and that is with embodied in all of that is fear and reverence of the Lord. Continuing. 
Exodus 27, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. And we see that all the time. We see that happen. I don't think there's a day that goes by that that's probably not abused a thousand or more times on any social media platform. It's either using Jesus or using God in vain. And again, why? Because there's no reverence, there's no fear, there's no consequential relationship to the Lord. It's just, ah, it's just a name. It's all right, it's cool, man. I'll talk to him later. We got it, Hank. We got it all. Exodus 28, remember the Sabbath, the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male or your female servant or your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. I'm going to be number one on this one. I violate this all the time. Now, I will be honest, it is not because I don't have reverence or fear for the Lord. Because, quite frankly, this is one of these things where I have a passion for what I do with God. And it's such a passion that I enjoy doing it. But as you know, I started shutting down Saturday shows. And it was to give myself a day of Sabbath with the Lord. And it's amazing. When we step away and we, it doesn't say do nothing but to do other things that are passionate to me have not to do with this have other things to do like setting up a new scope on my rifle, setting up a new target range, shooting my bow and arrow, whatever. Those are the sorts of things that are part of refueling, revitalizing, connecting with God in another way, letting the reverence and peace and quiet with him, that, that communal time with God. And that becomes a living and acting Sabbath. That's just for me, absolutely beautiful and refreshing. Exodus twenty twelve. honor your father and your mother, that your days may be prolonged in the land, which the Lord, your God gives you. As a culture, we violate this all the time. We cast our parents off. Once they get older, we're like, oh, man, I can't wait. Get mom and dad the heck out of here. Get them into a retirement home. Then there'll be a, there'll be a special care clinic because I don't want to deal with their stuff. They're getting older. I, ugh, can you imagine having to deal with older people stuff? I don't want to deal with that. So let's get them over to that retirement home or that Alzheimer's clinic. Let's just get them out of here. And then we'll visit. All we have to do is just go and see mom or dad or both for like maybe 10 minutes and maybe an hour. But we don't have to spend a lot of time there. Let's get out. We can go back to our normal life. That happens all the time. Again, I think it, it stems from the lack of consequential understanding with the Lord, what it is to be in violation of the commandments, what it is to 
not have a reverence and a fear of the Lord. Exodus 13, 2013, excuse me. You shall not murder, no kidding. You shall not commit adultery, no kidding. You shall not steal, there's another no-brainer. And you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And that's just, that's not only Joe that's got his property line 15 feet off your fence either. And the last, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Well, progressive culture just obliterated all that. And what's missing in progressive culture? It's the reverence and the fear of the Lord. But it's not, that's an easy target. Now think about how much of this has happened at the pulpit. Not so much the murder thing, but the adultery. Think about church and people in the church stealing, bearing false witness. It says, this, when we lay these Ten Commandments out and we look at our nation, if we reset our nation back to the Ten Commandments, everything in this country would change, and not in a bad way. But we've lost the reverence of God. That goes back to our declaration of independence with God on the throne above us and us below him and government subordinate to us. That's as it was laid out. That was moral law, all built around the Ten Commandments. And yet, we wander now and we wonder equally like what's wrong. It's got to be a political party. It's not a political party. We have a bankruptcy in the moral place of our nation. We have a bankruptcy in much of the church and pulpit in our nation. And we have a bankruptcy in our reverence for God, which includes the literal words, some fear of God, because if you feared God, you wouldn't be playing around like we're playing around as a nation. Galatians 1.10, for now I am seeking the favor of men. For, restate, excuse me. For am I now seeking the favor of men or of God, question mark? Or am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. Those are great words. And that's something every one of us should be asking. Because when we're motivated to do something or we're compelled to do something, that question should be at the center of that. Is this because I'm giving reverence to God or is it because I'm trying to please men? And too much of right now, what we are witnessing across this nation is this sort of groupthink, this compliance to a mass sheeple movement, not in a good direction either. And it's all about pleasing somebody or something else, which ultimately led, leads so many to the pleasing of the leaders of the nation and of pharmaceutical companies to obey, obey, obey. And all along, the reverence and fear of the Lord is cast aside. The fear of the Lord is, imagine this, because this is a, a legitimate statement. I think we can, I don't think there's anybody can dispute this. The fear of COVID was greater than the fear of the Lord. The fear of not taking the shot because of the fear of COVID is greater than not 
than the reverence and love of God and the fear of the Lord itself. I mean, that's incredible to me. And it's exactly where we are at this point in time. We are at that point in the valley of decision as a nation, as individually and as a nation. And it's all centering right there at the right there at that juncture of are we fearing God or are we not? Proverbs 1.7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So just so we say that when I call people fools, I can prove it biblically. <laughs> and by the way, just for those out there that are going like, oh, dude, come on, man. Q's in control. I'm like, oh, really? Well, this that was Proverbs 1.7, 17. And that wasn't even intentional, but it's a good one. Proverbs 1, 7, literally, I just, when I read it, I I was actually laughing to myself. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. That's being humble to God. That's listening and not just listening, but hearing, Right. So we listen and then we hear and we take action upon what he gives. And our whole relationship then becomes this amazing existence where everything in our life is an outcome of God's grace to us. So if God puts on our heart and says, I need you to share this way, or I need you to get this, or I need you to give this, all of that is in purpose with his design for us. And the deeper we walk into that, the greater the trust we have in him, our lives just absolutely transform to the most amazing space. It's, you can almost touch the unlimited nature of it. But it isn't unlimited in the sense because God is also growing with us and growing us. He's living with us and growing us. You have these moments, I and mean, I think we can all remember when you accepted Jesus in your life. Now, I'm going to go back to the first time I did this, which was way back in my, like, early teens. And the entire infrastructure was of, of support was, it was like a accept Jesus mill at the church. Ready to accept Jesus? Yeah, okay, step right up, that sort of thing. But I will tell you, in that moment, my life was transformed. Everything about this was just this unbelievable feeling of, like, God had his arms wrapped around me. But then over the weeks that ahead, it just kind of waned. And I remember that I remember feeling it. It's like, why, why am I not feeling this anymore? But there wasn't the support structure to help it. The church did a lousy job. And that's unfortunate because I'm sure many, many people experienced the same thing, which was a very short-lived experience of feeling the grace of God and the love of God. And then it, and it was, it's always a good thing. And then it all of a sudden it dissipates down to very, very blah. And you're like, well, I, I don't know what to do now. Because the guidance to get people to now read scripture and to start living the word and to start bringing your life in testimony to the word and 
learning how to face life's challenges through the word and growing and most importantly in all of that, trusting in God to grow you. And that growing means challenges. It means your father is going to give you challenges and it is going to be tough at times. And sometimes it's going to be miserable. You know, I interviewed Ammon Bundy yesterday. and He's going to be on the show next week. I don't know if you know this or not, but Ammon Bundy was in jail for two years, separated from his wife and his child and his family. And the only way he got through that, and it was his dad and his brother as well, by the way, all of them, they beat the court system. He'll openly tell you that was because of his love in Jesus. But it was the trial of that time that, that reinforces our faith. We've, hopefully everybody's had these sort of trials because that's literally when we really learn our, and it doesn't have to be in jail, by the way. That's not why I'm using the example. Just pointing this out, that these trials are given to us and it's, it's our ability to hold on to faith. And grow with that strength in trust in God. Because God's timing is his, not ours. And in that process of holding on, we're being refined. That's that beautiful part of God. And it's the reverence we have for him. And it's also the fear of leaving him. There should never, we're going to have it. I, I don't think anybody who's had an intimate relationship with God hasn't had a moment where you're like, what the heck, man? What are you doing to me, Lord? I've had a few of those conversations. And they usually go something like this. Um, anything else you want to ask me? Be like, Lord, are you serious? It's like, you're where you need to be. Now suck it up. Enjoy, embrace the suck and keep walking. Understand? Roger that. And when we are accepting that as God puts us before us, there is so much enrichment that comes from it. Because whatever our inheritance is, it's greater than we can imagine. And God has us there to refine us in profound ways. But in all of that, sure, you can pack it up. You can pack your bag and say, I'm out of here. Gone to the wind, man. See you later. And unfortunately, when we do that, that's where I go back to, do you have any fear of the Lord? And I can't tell you how many times people say that fear does not mean that. Fear does not mean fear. I'm like, all right. What would you feel like if you witnessed Sodom and Gomorrah getting incinerated to the ground? Would you have fear then? Or if you watched Lot's wife turned into a pillar of salt, would you have some fear then? Just curious. Because when we embrace those moments, which is a part of the balance of the loving father, we're grasping where we are in this. He is so committed to us. And I think it's important to, to say this. God doesn't need us, but he loves us infinitely. That should tell us where we rank. And in that loving and compassionate space, God also has this other side that does happen. But it's not, it doesn't wield up instantly. It doesn't, it's not, it's, 
completely within the scope of balance, but there is a wrath and wrath is real. Isaiah 33, 6, and he will be the stability in your times, a wealth of salvation, wisdom, and knowledge. The fear of the Lord is his treasure. I love that passage. Because with all that he provides, there is this incredible realness to it all. And when we walk in that, there's nothing else that can approach it. You want to climb a mountain? Lord will lead you. And you know what? There's going to be tremendous risks on some of those climbs, and the Lord's going to be with you. You want to go jump out of a plane with a parachute? God's going to be right there. And he's going to guide you. And there's going to be moments that might be like, whoa, that was rough. He's there the whole time if we let him. And it's also stability within the moments of chaos. Like right now, this storm is raging around. So many days I feel literally like we're walking across the Red Sea the metaphor in my head. And the difference in this walk versus that walk is you keep looking up and you're like, oh my goodness. And the waves are like lashing at each other from one side to the other and crashing into each other. But somehow there's like this little pocket in the middle and it's narrow and it's not entirely clear because it's kind of dark up ahead, but we know that it's, we can at least see that there's no water and we're keep going and there's no lights some days and sometimes there's a lot of light but we keep walking and you hear the waves crashing right over your head once in a while you get a little bit of water sprinkling down on top of you this is like exodus 2.0 here and the only way you're going to be able to go through it is to embrace the fact that god is the stability in our times and he's the salvation the wisdom and knowledge because all that's there is if you just look at the walls of the water, you're going to like, I can't see anything. If you put your wisdom and salvation and knowledge in him, you see infinitely and you walk without fear. Philippians 2, 12 to 13. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. I, what an amazing calling. When, we, when God rocks us, it's not even describable. It's those moments when God's with us and it's unexpected and suddenly like you're there it's just so overwhelming. Sometimes it's you're literally on your knees crying. And yeah, that's a guy that said that, not a gender confused twit. Because there's nothing more powerful than when God works through strong personalities and literally brings them, humbles them to their knees in tears, in reverence for his greatness and respect for the fear of all he is. Because when you rise from that moment, you are greater, you are stronger, you are mightier in this world.
Isaiah 43, 2. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched, nor will the flame burn you. And there it is. It is that unbelievable presence that when we align with God and all that he ensures us and promises us and gives us, and all of that humbleness that we do before him and all that greatness that we cherish in our heart and that bit of fear that we have in the might and glory that he is, the reward is unmeasurable. Again, that reward, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overflow you. And when you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched nor will the flame burn you, because you'll be refined. And all that's asked is to humble yourself before him and to be there before him and to let go of this arrogance that people have or this chip on their shoulder. It's like, oh, it's really not fear. There's nothing I got to fear about. You better have a little bit of that. And with that, we start to realize and see the true nature of Father. The balance of the many things that he is. And in that full picture, we seek his face. And as we seek his face, in the pursuit of that, in the pursuit of that intimacy, that pursuit of that relationship of true and unquestionable trust, and we listen and we follow as he leads us, we're on the most amazing, most cherished, most enviable for many quest one ever could go on. Because we can't see the end. We can't even sometimes see past the end of our nose. And yet there's no fear. And sometimes it's pitch black. We can't see our hand in front of our face. And when we get to that place, we have now embraced the trueness of trust in him because now truly he leads and guides us in all things and we stop questioning and asking and we start doing and believing. And that, to me, all summed up is the fear of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for this evening. Thank you for this time. Thank you for the blessings of sight and the walks in darkness. Thank you for the unlimited love. Thank you for the wrath. Thank you for the wholeness of what it is to be our Father. Sometimes those lessons are hard-earned and learned. Sometimes refinement through flames feels impossible. Sometimes climbing that mountain seems like we'll never get to the top. Sometimes the storm rages so much we wonder if we can even find the shore. But as long 
as we know, and we continue to hold our trust in you, those are the most glorious moments you provide us. And so thank you. Because there are the moments, Father, when we truly get to shed that part of us that wants to be in this world and of this world. And instead, we start to exist with you, not of this world, and experiencing this world. We grow. We are learning each stepfather the true nature of what it is to be your son or daughter. And this is not an easy walk at times, and yet there's nothing more glorious and more humbling. Again, thank you, Father. For those moments when we gain that arrogance in our lives and think that we can charge off to the mountain and tackle it on our own, what's always amazing is you let us go. But you never leave us. And for those moments when we break down and we're throwing our fits and asking you why, why, why. You sit quietly and listen. And you never leave us. And in those days when we get so busy and we're running around this and that, we forget to even acknowledge who you are. We forget to thank you. You never leave us. You're just right there. So thank you, Father, for the never-ending love, for the firm hand that keeps us on a true course, for the refinement in fire that helps us grow, and for the firmness in this walk that teaches us strength and a fearlessness that raises us up as your children. And we say these things in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Seek the intimacy of Father. Seek the intimacy of Jesus. Don't hold back. Make that relationship active and a part of every breath and every step. Challenge yourself to have those conversations even in your dreams. To wake up from a dream and be in the middle of a conversation with God or with Jesus. Never let a moment slip without having some sort of connection. A conversation, a listening. And as we do that, the beauty, the intimacy, the fullness, the completeness, the continuance of it all grows, and it grows mighty. Jesus is coming. We don't have a time. We don't have a place. And we'll hopefully be very consumed with everything we're doing to expand the kingdom. But he's coming. And we've got to get things right. And we've got a lot of work to do here on ourselves and those around us. And that is our job. And that is our mission. And we can't fail. Keep your head up and your eyes forward. Never bow to evil. Never relent. Always press into the fight. God is with us. He'll never forsake us. So keep your prayers tight. Listen close. He's speaking. 
trust like never before. In the end, God will always win. But we are here in this time, in this place, for just such a time as this. We're at war, and he trusts us. So walk boldly and fearlessly with Christ. Occupy the land. Expand the kingdom. Mission forward. Patriots, I will see you tomorrow for Bended Knee. Until then or until the next time. God bless. Good night. Thank you. And out for now. All this time we had to prove That we could stand here too All the nights been pushing through Fight for all we had to lose Reaching out for something To pull us up to the level ground Oh, I can see it now I can see it now
something to find.